You're listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast focused on Germany, the United States, and the transatlantic relationship. Join us as we discuss economics, politics, security, and more. I'm Jeff Rafke, president of the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. I want to welcome all of our listeners to The Zeitgeist, uh, to this episode, and I'm really delighted to have with us uh, a figure who has really extensive knowledge and insight into Germany's foreign policy and German politics, uh, and someone who can help us understand better uh, how Germany's approach, not only in the Russia crisis, uh, but more generally toward foreign affairs is developing. And that is Klaus-Dieter Frankenberger. He is uh, recently retired from the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung, where he was senior commentator and for many years, the foreign editor. Uh, He brings unparalleled uh, experience, I would say. And we are also extremely proud that that he is now a non-resident senior fellow at the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies. So we look forward to to working with you, Klaus, uh, in in that new capacity uh, for for the years to come. Welcome uh, to this episode. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. And so we are, I, I feel it's important to mention Um, that we are recording this episode on the 23rd uh, of February, Wednesday, because developments have been coming at us uh, so fast and furious uh, that that, that from one day to the next, um, you you sometimes feel like you're living in a different world. Uh, If if I were to think back, you know, just a week or maybe even three weeks, uh, and we were to talk about the, the German approach to Russia, the German view of Russia, I think we would be having a different conversation. But we're talking today, one day after the German chancellor uh, uh, announced the uh, review, which is essentially to say the, uh, the long deep freeze on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. That comes uh, t- uh, one day also after the, uh, the Russian decision to recognize the, um, the breakaway republics, the Russian supported uh, insurrection in the Donbass. Uh, and this uh, is naturally something with great consequences and grave consequences for Germany, for Europe, and for the United States, for all of the transatlantic community. Um, so let's start perhaps by talking about how the German view of Russia is changing. Um, do you see it changing um, in a in a fundamental, irreversible way, Klaus? Um, Jeff, again, thank you very much for having me. It's wonderful to be on this program. Actually, it's wonderful to work with you and your colleagues in Washington. Our fund change in fundamental ways are. I'm always reluctant to use a superlative, uh, but this is, of course, um, a sobering moment because it's shattering many of our assumptions, not just uh, towards Russia, but in particular towards Russia. You negotiate, you be patient, you pursue dialogue, you build bridges and all the rest. And then all of a sudden we seem to recognize and we do recognize once you face a brutal dictator, an autocrat, uh, which does not face any checks and balances that those valuable assumptions don't work or we have come to believe and where we're told by our leaders, you know, military means don't resolve political conflicts. And we see that this is not the case. 
wherever Russia is engaging, Russia uses military means and they achieve the desired goal, stabilize, destabilize, impose friction, impose disruption, and it works to their interest. This is for us a fundamental moment of uh, inflection because, as I said, it shatters many uh, assumptions. And one way or the other is illustrated by North Stream, by the North Stream 2 episode. Uh, and we go into this a little bit later, I assume. Um, will it last? Uh, I'm not so sure. History is still of a heavy load on us. Public reluctance to embrace a more open, more outward looking, a more globally minded, a more responsibility oriented uh, Germany is still there. It's reluctant. Eventually we have come to, uh, uh, well, to be open, to be global. We had a, a ship, a frigate sent uh, to, the, to East Asia last year. Uh, who'd have thought this? We were amongst the latest, the last to leave Afghanistan. We have still a thousand troops in Mali. And, and so we do a lot, but a, a lot of our dip, or underlying assumptions, uh, assumptions that underlie diplomacy are, are now just washed away by a declaration and the most cynical meeting televised in the Kremlin you can think of. Mm -hmm. This will, will, will sober our minds, I would think. You talked about the underlying assumptions, and and I think there can be no better uh, example of that than the the way that so much of Germany's diplomatic hopes for uh, progress, uh, even in the last couple of weeks, have centered on the so-called Minsk uh, process and the uh, and the Normandy uh, uh, format that is French and German engagement with Ukraine and Russia, and as you say, uh, the the recognition by Russia of these, um, you know, uh, Moscow-backed um, uh, you know, governments, if you want to call them that, um, in particular, the fact that they have territorial claims that go well beyond their, their current, um, uh, you know, line of control uh, is, it, it, it makes it impossible to maintain the fiction um, that there is any uh, real a diplomatic process uh, that can be pursued. Um, and, you know, that was really a policy that German governments had, uh, had been pursuing ever since the first conflict in 2014. Um, so the, their legs have really been cut out from under them. Uh, what do not you just think us, not can just take their place? Not just the German government, the French one too, other European governments too, or the United States at that, that time, was happy and, and happy to uh, dole out this responsibility to Europeans and in, in, in the, in the uh, person of uh, French President Sarkozy, who rushed to, to Moscow and said, well, we bring about in, in 28, 208, we bring about peace to that, to that conflict uh, mm -hmm. in the Caucasus. Well, you know, we, were we are, have been lied to cynically, are outrageously cynically so, and um, this has now been 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 um, been going on for for quite a while. I mean, we in Europe are reluctant uh, to accept the lessons of realpolitik, but I would think our our opponents and our adversaries, and I would call Russia the Russia of Putin, very little now a partner very little a competitor he's an opponent and an adversary that is out to 
to redefine uh, the post-Cold War order in Europe, that is, who is willing to recreate a greater Russia and who is willing to uh, re-erect an iron curtain uh, where it is, we'll, we will see, we will come to see, is forcing, giving us a lecture of what it means to uh, uphold our peace and stability, provide for security in Europe and probably beyond the mm-hmm. continent. So uh, I think now is a good time to turn perhaps to the, uh, to the energy uh, question and the Nord Stream 2 as the particular expression of it. Um, uh, because of course, as, as you know, in the United States, uh, Nord Stream 2 has kind of, has kind of crystallized um, the uh, criticisms and the doubts uh, in the United States about um, the German approach to, uh, to Russia. And yesterday's announcement by the chancellor, um, you know, within hours of the Russian recognition of uh, Donetsk and Luhansk as independent, um, that, uh, that this would be put into the deep freeze. Um, it, uh, it, I think, was a quick move um, uh, and, and welcome in that respect. Um, but, of course, there is a deeper uh, dependency that Germany has on, on energy from Russia, uh, and that is not solved by this particular um, uh, this particular step, right? No, but it's a welcome step. It has long, has long been overdue. Nord Stream 2 and Nord Stream 1 have been bones of contentions for a long time, not just with the United States, but also with many of our partners in Europe within Germany. My paper has been on record. I think it's not proudly, but I think it's rather... Uh, I feel sorry for it that we have to say that this is not an instrument that that is uh, conducive to cooperation. This is an instrument that will increase our dependence on Russia, that increases the leverage of Russia over us and over our partners in the East, and that will rip apart Europe East and Europe West and eventually isolate Ukraine in a way that is conducive to simply run over it. And that's exactly what we have seen. The way Chancellor... And I'm always wondered why German governments, including the Merkel government, has been so stubborn to cling to the notion this has nothing to do with geopolitics. This has nothing to do with strategy. This is the private commercial enterprise. And I've always thought, what do these people think when they tell the public this is a private commercial place when the companies that are doing this are, have all an office in the Kremlin? And, and that's yeah. believable. Uh, Schultz, I, I have the impression that Charles was actually waiting for this in a certain sense, not of course in a, in a real sense, but, you know, eventually, you know, get over this, get over this, this bone of contention or free, put it in the freezer, say what is the obvious and say, this is not an instrument of bridge building. This is something which uh, exposes our naivete and, 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 this will increase our dependency, uh, our, our oil, gas, and on oil, gas, and diesel gas dependency. But we also heavily reliable, relying on, on Russia's coal and oil uh, exports to Germany are will allow us to really more, much more clearly uh, calculate the cost and and and, and cost and benefits uh, which this relationship inevitably entail. And I would think. Uh, when President Biden and, and uh, Angela Merkel, the, the previous chancellor, hammered out the Ukraine agreement last year, it was clear 
that this or or this freezing moment would be in the making, would be coming. Mm-hmm. It's a different question whether that will make an impression on the Kremlin. It will. That's absolutely true, because oil and gas supplies continue to flow, to flow, are on traditional along traditional routes and along the Nord Stream One pipeline. Are it's a question, a very good question, if sanctions which have been imposed and which will uh, will be imposed eventually, if and when the invasions proceed proceed uh, proceeds further to the west, are with real military our, our engagements, uh, if this will make a, 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 an impression on him anyhow, one whatsoever. I have come to the, to the belief, it's a belief, it's not, it's not, or it's not, it's more belief than knowledge. It will not. It will not because our, first of all, as I said, the energy revenues continue to fly in. So we actually, he starts a conflict and with the proceeds of oil and gas and coal, the higher, which will 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 climb up, the, climb mm-hmm. to the roof, will finance the whole military apparatus and the whole conflict. Uh, other other sanctions will be priced in. Are some sanctions that are directed to oligarchs may uh, may actually play into his hand? Um, I don't think it makes too much of an uh, uh, of an Im- impression on him if if you recall the way he dressed down the top people of his security council um, on monday when they were staggering when they were not really answering in a in a and and in the way putin wanted it he, he dressed them down it's just, it's unbelievable so this man is not afraid of sanctions even we even if we think they are stringent, they are pu- really punishing, or something. We have no other choice. Mm-hmm. There is hardly any other instrument available at this moment, or uh, there may be a few others. But uh, if we rule out military means, this is what we have at our disposal. But um, there may be uh, the, the the Dutch Prime Minister Prime Minister Rutte called the whole approach uh, and, and called Putin. He's totally crazy. Is not irrational. This is irrational behavior. A person obsessed with recreating a kind of greater Russia, or you know, bathing in mythology, going back to the old days, and delegitimizing a neighboring state that he has no, it has no right to exist. Or would you think that this person and he's going out on an aggression course now for months that he will be intimidated by sanctions again, one or two? Uh, Russian banks, I doubt that. Yeah. Well, and um, I, I think the, the, uh, the monetary uh, impact uh, of, of the eventual cancellation of Nord Stream 2 um, is maybe not the most important thing, but it is at least a signal that for Germany, the thing that has come to represent the old approach of promoting economic interconnectedness and the supposition that that brings political benefits in stabilizing an important relationship, that that is what is also dying here. Um, uh, Do do you agree? Yes. And this comes on the heels of all the the question uh, we were witnessing and, and facing during the corona, the early months and the early phases of the corona pandemic, supply lines are disrupted. 
are, is it good to have sensitive products being produced somewhere else around the globe? Uh, the, um, this is just for log logistical and, and health reasons, but the question of interdependence, the questions of outsourcing has been are with, us, with us now for quite some time. The debate about rivalry, systemic rivalry with China has been with us, with us now for quite some time. And Nord Stream 2 is the example uh, here of the geopolitical impact of such interdependency and the uh, allocated or the, the assumed benefits that this will bring and we, and we see that this is not the case. And for some it is, a, as I said, it's a disappointing or it's disappointing, it's sobering because all what they have believed in for all their life, this is particularly for, true for a lot of social Democrats, it's disclosed as being false, naive and not true and not leading yeah. to the to the hope for uh, status of peace and stability, of predictability uh, of someone uh, who is not a, uh, uh, as Schroeder would have said, the former chancellor, a Lupenreiner Demokraten or Lupenreiner partner. Um, yeah. We are really taken to the woodsheds here. Yeah. Um, we'll come to the SPD in just a second, but I also, one thing that strikes me and uh, in, in observing um, the, the ways in which economics uh, minister Habeck has talked about the, uh, the revision uh, of, of this decision toward Nord Stream 2, um, for the Greens, in a way, this presents an additional political imperative for the thing they have always wanted anyway, which is an accelerated energy transformation in Germany, and uh, and so Habeck, in an interview that uh, aired last night, uh, went went out of his way to say that you know that Germany need not be threat feel threatened uh, by you know uh, uh, um, Dmitry Medvedev's uh, uh, threat that uh, gas prices could double from their already high levels. In other words, that Germany can deal with this, um, and that it can deal with this in a way that accelerates um, the Greens' top. Um, policy priority. Um, do you think he is, as they say in English, whistling past the graveyard, or do you think this really could galvanize the energy transformation in Germany in a meaningful way? Well, our, it helps, as you say, at least our politically and rhetorically, uh, but still for this longer period of transition, we need gas, we need oil, we know that. Our Habeck knows it. It's, it's, he said just a few weeks ago that we will not meet the targets this year and next year and not uh, probably not in 24. So uh, given the higher, uh, higher energy prices and for the consumers might provide incentives to, to go further, but there's only so much you can do in a given if a limited period of time. Now we need gas from elsewhere. If there's really uh, our stop of deliveries, which I don't think, I don't think it will, will we will see a stop of deliveries and, and, and supply here, but uh, it is an incentive to really look at dependence relationships. And if they're in our interest, if they're an in interest of our partners, uh, and what we can do about it together. Uh, I'm always in, in this togetherness thing here. We should, our, and again, Russia is an adversary in my, uh, for and for most an adversary, uh, particular with someone like Vladimir Putin in the Kremlin. 
what can we do together to contain his ambitions, to contain his military neo-imperialistic impulses, and 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 are not in a in an in a militaristic way on our part, not at all, not at all, but apply resolve with realism uh, and, and and principle. This would be my approach in this together. Our yeah. energy wise, energy wise. Uh, Habeck will now have will have find its hands full with securing that we have enough gas supplies in case there should there should be a shortage of it, are uh, and higher energy prices, higher gasoline prices, like in the U.S. in case of of crippling sanctions, uh, will test the willingness of the consumers, the citizens, to pay for it. For a crisis, and as I learned, only a third of the Americans identify where it is taking place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's come to the uh, the Social Democratic Party. Of course, your former employer, the the uh, Frankfurter Allgemeine, was uh, a center right oriented uh, uh, newspaper. Uh, but nevertheless, um, I think uh, you know you've you've observed uh, the Social Democratic Party and especially their approach to Russia uh, for a long time. So, do you think that you know more specifically for the SPD that that this really um, Kind of naked aggression uh, toward Ukraine from the part of of Putin and his governing circle will will have a fundamental will lead to a fundamental change in their view of Russia. We've seen some indication of that. Um, in particular, um, the I would say embarrassment of many leading social democratic party figures at at the uh, pro Putin pro Russian statements of former Chancellor Gerhard Schroeder, who is you know, on the payroll of two, soon to be three um, major uh, Russian uh, energy affiliated uh, companies. Uh, and and that led to kind of a crisis summit of the social democratic leadership uh, and uh, and also statements from the, the co-chair of the party, Lars Klingbeil, um, um, yeah. basically about a reassessment of, uh, of, of Russia policy. Um, so how deep do you think that will go? Uh, it has already started the re- the revisioning of uh, revisiting of old assumptions as I, uh, to which I alluded earlier to. Um, but let me uh, say one thing to begin with. Are uh, all of Germany and this uh, would they applies for most of the public are does not are uh, see conflict with Russia lightly. The, the, the history, the experience during the past war makes up, make us shy to really adopt measures that would lead eventually to a hard confrontation. This applies to all parties, you know, all parties. The Greens were the, were the ones who were the most outspoken in their Russia criticism in the first place in recent years, a few CDU figures. Are with with the business community is different. There are those, of course, who have a, a commercial interest in in good relations with Russia. They are a constituency. Are uh, to well, we are in are in favor of dialogue, no saber rattling, uh, and for whom the former Chancellor Sch- uh, Schroeder is kind. Not I would say not kind of hero, but uh, but quite a figure. Are to lead this this group, they have been taking the 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 ground from under them now. They all are standing in uh, in the rain, so to speak, 
and for many, many social democrats who are proud of this old SPD tradition by um, by Willy Brandt and his colleagues at the time, you know, open up to the east or a new wave of a new policy of entspannung, detente at the time is the way to deal with this or with, with Russia, with the Soviet Union, and then with Russia. Now they see are that regimes as the one are headed by by Putin don't follow our rule book. They have other rules in their mind. They have other interests. They have, have other obsessions. This is this is also really a systemic clash, so to speak. They have a new design on, on the security situation uh, and the security system in Europe. And this makes it uh, very hard for them to look back at the tradition and say, well, maybe we are wrong. This process is in uh, and, and this process goes on for quite some time. But of course, what we heard from, from the former Chancellor Schroeder the other day, that he accused the Ukraine of saber rattling, while 150,000 troops or even more of, from Russia were encircling the country is the most outrageous. And actually, it's a disgrace. And a lot of social Democrats, those I talked to, uh, felt disgraced by this. Yeah, yeah. Um so, and if we take a step back, um, uh, of course, it's it, it's tempting to uh, to spend the entire conversation on Russia because the threat to the European political and security order uh, could not be um, uh, more grave. But uh, I'd like to think for a minute about what this means more generally for Germany and its outlook on the world. Um, we have. Uh, all been talking in recent years in new terms. We talk about strategic competition, um, or in the case of China, there is this sort of triptych of uh, uh, you know, which is uh, partner, competitor, rival, um, and and so how do you see this uh, crisis unleashed by Russia affecting Germany's view of the world beyond, in particular? The, the competition uh, and, uh, and in some ways adversarial relationship with China? Well, I would say uh, many Germans now will come to the conclusion that the American focus on China, you, you said, mentioned systemic rivalry, is not just a spleen by the Americans, but that's are a, a very well description of the reality. Uh, for Germany, it's particularly difficult <clears throat> because our our model of doing business here is coming into focus you know we ex are export to the world we are china is our among the top three our trade partners are in, in imports it's number one uh, uh, if i'm not mistaken our in exports is, is still the us for germany but we rely to a lot of in in, in many instances on on partners whose or political regimes are totally, totally are alien to ours. And this makes us re revisit our assumptions to some extent. Our, this, is, this puts business against politics uh, to some extent, but 
it we eventually come to the realization or hopefully will come to the realization that this new era of big power uh, uh, conflict of big power con competition that if we not if we not really do shed our naivete in going about the world and viewing the world uh, we will be trampled upon and squeezed and not taken seriously but this process of Increasing realism has started for quite some time now, particularly in the EU, um, but it, no other country than us will be affected by this. No, we will be more affected by this than, than any other country, not of our, not of our, with our proportion and our, our influence. Um, the thing is, and I emphasize it, that it, that how the world looks to us it's it's uh, not stable it's conflict prone it's conflict ridden even and our, it's the time of the bullies the right of the strong not not the not the right of the, not the strength of, of law and and, and 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 due process and all the rest um we uh, we take, get a hard lesson now we uh, get a hard lesson in in the reality of big power politics and and particularly of those we consider systemic rivals um, we have to finally come come to the conclusion other than saying uh, well we preserve the liberal order with like-minded partners what to do about it if someone like China or Russia behave the way they have behaved uh, and let's be honest uh, we can be proud of and 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 that the West vis-a-vis -vis the Russian aggression are, is standing together, probably more united uh, than in a long time, but, but still we're going to fail at the expense where we are together at the expense of the, of the Ukraine. Let's face it. Mm -hmm. uh, what we will do about it? Well, we can strengthen the eastern flank of NATO, and we, we will do so, and that's good and necessary. Uh, other than that, we watch what the, what's going to happen, inflict, impose sanctions, which I think are Putin, um, President Putin doesn't really pay much attention to, and he's continuing. Yeah. And there's nothing yeah. that, which will stop him in, in, in the tracks. Yeah, you know, uh, I was uh, I was in Munich for the security conference last weekend, and and this this uh, kind of uh, juxtaposition. On the one hand, there was a real a feeling of solidarity um, and a, you know, I, I would say a certain kind of pride among the Western officials there at having achieved that level of, of solidarity. But solidarity is not a Zebstvek. You know, it is, uh, it is only useful in pursuit of some ends. And that's, uh, I, I think, where the, uh, where the result is still deeply or highly uncertain and it's ukraine that is going to pay the price um in the in the near term um uh, you're absolutely right yes. uh, you know you know i think uh, when we talk also about about china and about more generally the the german view of the world um it, it's not really about the, the sort of caricature of decoupling which i think people sometimes is a word people like to fixate on because it's sort of a straw man um, uh, it's, it is a, an extreme position, which no government actually holds, but it's a way of, of, uh, of saying what, uh, you know, what Germans don't want, which is a cutting off of relation of economic relations with China. Frankly, nobody in the United States wants a cutting off of American economic oh, yeah. relations with China either. Um, but what it, what it's about is it's more about this kind of fundamental principle 
that has been at the center of the um, uh, of of the economic engagement with um, other systems for decades, and that is the belief that um, through interdependence, um, uh, you you may promote change, or at least you may um, uh, provide a moderating influence, which makes your adversary or your counterpart um, unwilling. Um, to to you know resort to violence or to destabilizing activity, and I think what what is happening and what uh, people increasingly are realizing is that this interdependence um, is not always that insurance factor because in the case of Russia, it has built up its foreign currency reserves to such a degree that it can live without um, hydrocarbon exports if it wants to, so the the it's insulated against the sanctions. And in the case of China, um, the, uh, the, the, you, whether Germany gets more out of that relationship than China does is open to question. So do you think that, that this uh, faith in economic connectedness as a moderating force in foreign relations, um, do you think that will lose its uh, power um, in, uh, in Germany? Yeah, yeah. This, I mean, as you say, our, it was believed, this myth was believed, or let's say, Less negatively, this idea that are by trade you you create a certain sense of togetherness of that interdependence, our relationships are per se good, and eventually we'll have a liber liberalizing impact on the on the non democratic system and which are part of this interdependence relationships. That's gone, and very few would believe. And propagate this now as are uh, as, as as serious as the serious um, in all seriousness. Um, now this is clear. We will are then still a country of 1.4 billion people are highly dynamic. More and more important for the world economy are soon catching up with the United States as the number one economic power in the world. When this will be as as a matter of a as a different question. If it will be at all, but uh, it's it's technologically inspiring. It's it's assertive in its geopolitical outward lookingness, and so on. Um, the question is: Are should our most modern companies, our most modern industries, and our most modern sectors really become so dependent on such a country uh, and tie us together? I mean, the the it is. Uh, quite, quite, how should I say it, uh, ironic that our Germans' prosperity depends, depends to a large extent, depends upon our, the policies and the machinations of major non-democratic countries in the world, Russia and China, and particularly China, as you alluded to. I mean, this cannot be, in, cannot be our our leading star in our foreign economic behavior, I would think, because you can easily be, you know, be uh, on the receiving end of this, uh, as we have become, uh, both in China and on Russia, into certain instance, instance, are it makes uh, policy making not any easier to say this, but it puts ev ever more a premium of Western democratic market oriented countries to hammer out approaches together, common yeah. approaches, how they see and engage with, let's say, China in this case, are 
let's of course we on the west are com are competitors amongst ourselves are and sometimes bitter competitive competitors that's yeah. reality but uh china russia a few others maybe but particularly china big power non-democratic actors are posing such a, uh, a challenge to us that we should together reflect how we address these these challenges are for again our conversation started with our are we are at an inflection point as we see how russia uh, is uh, behaving how the military aggression uh, unfolds and continues it's an inflection point and it's a very sobering experience it's shattering myths and assumptions that have guided german foreign policy making for makers for a long time um but probably this this lesson in realpolitik, hard nosed as it is, is our probably good one and overdue. As the, mm -hmm. the, the the decertification or at least the freezing of the certification process of Nord Stream 2 is yeah. a good thing. Good thing, Last, not because it's good, because it's 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 necessary to do this. Yeah. Last question, uh, Klaus, and uh, and that is if you look ahead to the coming weeks, months, maybe, um, what is uh, what should we be watching? What what is what will be a telltale sign, in your view, of um, whether German foreign policy approaches uh, continue to evolve, might say mature, um, in response uh, to this crisis? What is it that that would that would uh, indicate to you that we're seeing? this kind of fundamental inflection point um, uh, being internalized and uh, uh, on, on the German side? Well, first of all, you, one always has to keep in mind that the current government is formed by three part partners. Three. It's not a homogenous group. It's not a, not a homogenous, so to speak, regime, either of the Greens or the Liberal Democrats or the SPD. Uh, they have to hammer out a consensus amongst themselves. And they have started remarkably are close, not reading from the, always from the same sheet of paper, but have started to read more and more um, from the same sheet of paper. What we have to overcome is, and our partners in Paris and Brussels and the US know that, what we uh, know our history and they know our reluctance to provide arms and, and military equipment to hostile uh, in hostile in, 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 in wartime situations, conflict-ridden areas. They know that, but what we should not, what what we cannot do, uh, what they are as a few weeks ago, uh, um, um, tell the Ukrainians or or um, instead of providing them with uh, called for arms, we will send you five thousand helmets. This is disgrace and an insult. It's disgrace also to us, to ourselves, to our standing in the world, to our respectability. Um, as you say, we have to get mature and we will see um, what lessons all of us will, will, will uh, draw from this. You see it, you see a lesson being drawn, uh, the right thing, uh, uh, I would say, from Boris Johnson, Prime Minister of the UK. You heard it in Munich say, uh, the EU and we are as close together as it could. Well, we have a few months ago, we heard a different line of preaching uh, yeah. from Westminster. This is, uh, that's the thing I have in my, uh, I, I'm thinking of when I speak about our sobering experience, sobering, changing our minds, our minds 
global Britain is a fantasy, uh, that just as a fantasy, Germany is a bridge builder between the West and Russia. No, we are part of the West. We are part of this one, one pillar. We are not a bridge. So we have to be clear about ourselves and about our about ourselves, of the importance that Germany has in and for Europe. And uh, I hope we will get a step further than that. The other big thing now in Europe to watch, of course, is April and May, the French election. Will yeah. Macron gets yeah. elected? This has nothing to do with us. I, I, even though on the right, or the anti-German sentiment is strong. I know that. No, we have an indirect influence. But in, in, in the first, this is the most important thing. So the whole our timing of Russia's aggression is interesting. One year after um, um, Biden's inauguration, a couple of months after the fiasco uh, of Afghanistan in Germany, a new uh, a new government with the with the old stalwarts Chancellor uh, Chancellor Merkel now uh, a, a private citizen. The UK, you, the UK, you don't know if they're serious or not so serious, what their priorities are, uh, French in the midst of, an, of a brutal re-election campaign, um, election campaign. So, you know, West is somewhat distracted. The West has found together, it's pulling together, yes, and good. Uh, but if the, the bird, the object of, um, for Russia, for, for, for Vladimir Putin is to uh, extend its grip on, on the UK, this is the right time to do it, I would think. Yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it seems to be true. All right. Well, um, uh, you know, a few of the words that have stood out to me in this conversation, um, uh, sobering reality, uh, a growing realism, and a shattering of myths and assumptions, as you put it, Klaus, uh, so well. And, and so I think uh, we, have, we are uh, at the start, not at the end, of... of to a changed reality, and uh, we will look forward to, uh, to uh, observing and exchanging views with you as uh, the United States and Germany uh, try to cope with, uh, with, this, uh, with this challenge. And I want to thank you for spending this time with us today. And to our listeners out there, we look forward to having you with us on the next episode of The Zeitgeist. Thanks for listening to The Zeitgeist podcast produced by the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Send us your feedback by email to info at AICGS.org or catch us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at AICGS. Don't forget to check out AICGS.org for more information from today's episode. Auf Wiederhören!